0: Well, Greetings brethren and welcome to another Sabbath service. Greetings from CGI Burlington. Today's service, the sermon will be given by myself and the sermon is entitled The Zeal of the Lord. Just doing a sound check before we begin looking for confirmation that you hear the piano and you hear my voice. God bless. And we're just waiting for a confirmation that you can hear the piano and you can hear my voice just doing our weekly sound check. Greetings, brethren. Wonderful. We've got our confirmation. Thank you, RJ. Greetings, brethren. Wonderful. Jeff in Macedonia, Ohio, can hear Christine. Everything sounds good. Wonderful. We'll be starting in just a moment.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to another broadcast service. You're coming from Burlington, Ontario, Canada. If you're watching us from North America or South America, then it's safe to say good afternoon to all of you. You're watching us in Europe, and it's probably the Sabbath is over by now, so you're on the first day of the week. And if you're watching us in Asia, you're probably the first day of the week, but much later, so... Welcome anyway, no matter where you are, whether you're watching us live or maybe you're gonna tune in a little bit later. What a week it was and we passed through another week and I hope that everyone, every single one of you had a great week. And I know the situation out there is not the greatest one. There is lots of nonsense, a lot, lot of things going on. But it's such a blessing to tune in for another Sabbath, Sabbath service that we just put all these things away. And now we just pay homage, respect to our God, our creator so welcome today's the last sabbath of this month i don't know if you realize or not but this is the last sabbath of this month of this calendar month roman calendar and the next sabbath will be actually in uh september and we slowly move towards the fall time which means that we are only 28 days away from today 28 days away from the feast of trump 28 days who would believe it We are almost there. So, brethren, with that, before we start today, we'd like to begin with an opening prayer. And the opening prayer will be given to us by Pastor Murray Palmatier. So just please pay respect and bow your heads.
2: Blessed Sabbath, everyone. Let's open in prayer. Our holy, righteous, and loving Father in heaven, we pause before you and before our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're just so humbled and privileged to in your presence. We ask you to accept us into your presence here on this holy time that you set apart for us back in creation. We are so blessed and and privileged in a good way to know about your truth and your holy time. We are very grateful for technology that unites us during times of, of trouble. We are so very blessed to be in your body And as we, as our brother just mentioned, we are a month away, less than a month away from your annual holy time that begins in four weeks. We ask for a special blessing upon your followers, the disciples of of your son, Jesus Christ, that we may heed the seriousness of the season, that we may put some special effort and particular effort into getting ready for this time. You several times throughout the year, invite us into special holy time. And please help us individually and collectively to come into it excited, come into it with a renewed sense of vigor and prepared to be taught and to be trained for in in the ways that you will have your, your, your leaders do that for us this year. Please help us to, to, uh, focus and put some special attention to that we are again very blessed here this afternoon to be together to worship you we ask for a special blessing today upon this service a special blessing upon our brother who will be bringing your word to us please open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have for us please give us stir up the holy spirit within us to uh, become more like your son to have a desire to to learn and be taught and to to be changed and to become more complete like your son, Jesus Christ. We uh, ask you to remember those who have uh, beseeched us in prayer. May all things be done according to your will, but we ask for your mercy as well to be upon them. So we thank you. We put this service into your hands and just do so ever grateful for the sacrifice and the love of you and your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.
1: Thank you, Pastor Murray, for the opening prayer. So, now I was going to be moving along. Just let me give you a heads up. Just right after the opening hymn, we're going to have a scripture reading. So, the scripture reading today, if you have your Bible handed, just please turn at the, at the time. So, you're going to have a few, few seconds to do that. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7 will be read to us by Brother Daniel. But before we go to the scripture reading, Let's have an opening hymn will be taken, if you have the hymnal, will be taken from page 23 entitled Guide Me O Thou Great Eternal. If you don't have the hymnal, that's okay. As always, you will see the words on the screen. So I'll have a hymn now on page 23, Guide Me O Thou Great Eternal. After which I'll have the scripture reading. Read to us by, by brother Daniel.
2: Good afternoon, brethren. Uh, Happy Sabbath to all. As was mentioned previously, the scripture reading is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Amen.
1: Thank you, Daniel. Uh, now let's let's move on to the announcements that we have to cover for this week. We just have a few announcements. Those of, of all of you, the young ones, the infused Bible study will take place th- this Friday, so more information will come up, the meeting will be on the Zoom as, as it was held last time, so as I said, the more more information will come during the week and also here from Burlington, there will be no Bible study this week, this Wednesday remember, there is a little break for two weeks and the Bible study by Pastor Agent David will resume on Wednesday, September 2nd, Wednesday Sept- September 2nd, with the book of Psalms and as always, please join us next week here at the same time at 2.30 from another broadcast here from Burlington, Canada. And as always, please take time as you hear in the me saying and Pastor Murray saying in his prayer. Please prepare for the fall holidays. It's just the not that far away from all of us. So that will take care of the announcements. So now let's just move on. Uh, we'll have another hymn, but right after the hymn, we'll go to the main message of today by Pastor Agent Davis it, entitled The Zeal of the Lord. The Zeal of the Lord by Pastor Agent Davis. But before we go to the main message, let's have another hymn, and this one will be taken from page 162 The Mercy That Never Fails. 162, The Mercy That Never Fail. And the main message, The Zeal of the Lord by Pastor Agent Davis. Please enjoy it.
0: Well, greetings, brethren. That has to be, I think, my favorite hymn. It's one of a very, very beautiful hymn. Every time I hear it, it just does something. It touches me very, very deeply. Uh, brethren, if I am looking uh, particularly relaxed, it's because I had a, a week of uh, vacation or staycation. Actually, actually, we did go away to one of the, our lakes. and. Uh, just sitting by the lakeside in the sun, enjoying the beautiful weather and the, just the beautiful surroundings. And I saw this uh, beautiful Chinese family, a very young family of four very small children, and they were playing in the lake, and they were just splashing and making such a commotion. And uh, just, just the joy of being together and, and, and being in the water and fascinated with the water. And I was just watching them. And I was watching the commotion that they were making. And then the ripples that went out from them, uh, just in these sort of uh, circles going out. And I thought, as I was thinking of the sermon this week, the word epicenter came to mind. And I wonder, are we aware of the epicenter of all of these activities that are taking place in the earth today? Uh, We're living in a time that is unprecedented. I think we've heard that many times. And, and there's a lot of chaos, and there's a lot of activity, and a lot of turmoil. But what is the epicenter of all of this? Well, last week, Deacon Jan gave a great message entitled, God's Justice. And if you missed that, it's in our archive. I would encourage you to, to check the archives. Uh, these messages are important. They, they do tie together. And it's important that we're able to fully digest everything that God wants us to digest and, and he kicked off his message where I want to begin uh, my message today in a sense, a continuation of, of God's justice. And if we go to Jeremiah 9 and verse 23, Jeremiah 9 and verse 23, we read there, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. This is what we need to glory in, that, that we, we can like, wow, this is something to behold. This is something to shout about, that we actually understand and know him. And what is it that he wants us to understand and know? That I am the Lord, which exercises, what does he exercise? Loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, says the Lord. So for thousands of years, since the creation of man, and certainly since the covenant With Jacob, God has been exercising in the earth loving-kindness, judgment, and righteousness. This is what delights him. And knowing this is what should delight us. And it's what we should glory in. We should understand the zeal of the Lord. What what is what is God zealous about? What what is he doing in the earth? And what excites him? And does what excites him does it excite us? You know, we have had a series of messages really since the lockdown. And and Pastor Murray kind of kicked off this series with a message entitled From Generation to Generation. And in that message he quoted Dennis Prager, who is a very um, famous Jewish teacher. Uh, And he quoted this, a people who cease telling their stories, cease to remain a people. So we have to understand our stories, we have to keep telling our stories, but we also have to understand why and how these different stories, these different narratives all feed into a grand narrative, and, and following on from Pastor Murray's message, I, I, I talked about the structure, the, the three-act structure of story. And, and just for by way of review, the three-act uh, structure of story uh, goes something like this. We know that there's three acts, so we can just sort of divide the story into three pieces, act one, act two, and act three. So we see these as the three acts of story. Act one, we said, is the ordinary world. Where the protagonist, the main character of the story, is just going about his or her business as usual. And then something happens. A villain strikes. And that villain plunges the protagonist. The villain is the antagonist. The villain is working against what the protagonist is working for. Plunges the, 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 the protagonist into what we call the changing world. The changing world is a world of chaos and turmoil, where the protagonist's world is suddenly turned upside down, and nothing can be taken for granted, and it looks like, potentially, everything can be lost. Until, within the changing world, a special resource appears. And that special resource gives the protagonist the strength and the ability to fight back and overcome to enter, then, the new world. And that is this three-act structure of story. And and in terms of the arc of story, you know, if we kind of look at the arc of the story, what we see is the the protagonist pursuing some goal, being struck by the villain and plunged into a world of misery where they suffer until the special resource appears that gives them the ability then to rise. So that's the arc of the story, this three-act structure that we look at and understand as we understand the flow of a story. The Bible has a grand narrative, and God has made the protagonist of this grand narrative, Israel. Israel is the protagonist, and we follow the story of Israel through from Genesis to Revelation. And we see God acting as the special resource to enable Israel to achieve her end, which ultimately is to become the bride of Christ. So what I want to do in the sermon today is to use the structure of story to help us understand how God exercises loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. And I want to use for this a three-by-three matrix to show just how he is fulfilling this zeal that he has to bring this this loving kindness, this this judgment, and this righteousness to fruition. So I, I say three by three because I want to do it on three levels. On level one, sorry. On level one, I want us to look at Judah. So how does Judah go through this three act structure? On level two, we'll look at the Gentiles. How do they go through this three act structure? And then finally, let's look at us, the Church. How do we go through? this three acts structure. So we're gonna start here with act one for Judah, where God is exercising loving kindness. And and by the way, loving kindness, uh, the Hebrew for that is chesed. And uh, the best way I would describe it is covenant love. That when God makes a covenant, that's it, he's in, he never turns back. Despite the fact that his people are treacherous, Because he has made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he will never go back on that promise. So as wicked as his people are, he will still find a way to exercise loving kindness. So these scriptures now, if you're following this three-by-three matrix, these scriptures that I'm going to quote are Act 1, for Judah. And when I say Judah, uh, in a way that includes Israel as well. Although God has divorced Israel uh, because of the promise, he is going to to bring Israel and Judah back together. So I'm going to focus on Judah, but we also include in this Israel. Now in the ordinary world, let's go back to Jeremiah 9, and let's pick up the context for Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24, beginning in verse 1, where Judah is in the ordinary world going about her business, just as if everything's fine. So, what's the ordinary world for Judah? Jeremiah 9 and verse 1. Oh, that my this is the prophet speaking, oh, that my head were waters. He wishes his head was just full of water. He, he, he doesn't have enough water. He wishes he had more. Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears. That, that the, the, the tears could just flow incessantly. That I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. The prophet has the ability to see act two. The prophet is looking ahead at the world of turmoil that's coming, but the people don't see it. They're in the ordinary world. And what are they doing in the ordinary world? Well, the prophet's going to tell us. Verse two, Oh, that I had in the wilderness a lodging, a place of wayfaring men, that I might leave my people. So in the ordinary world, he's unhappy with his people. And go from them. For they be all adulterers. This is what they're doing in the ordinary world, going about their business, claiming to be the righteous people, the covenant people of God. And what are they doing? They are all adulterers. An assembly of treacherous men. And they bend their tongues like their bow for lies. You know, when you see somebody pulling a bow to aim at a target, this is how they pull back their tongues so that they can lash out and strike with precision. This is the ordinary world of Judah. They bend their tongues like their bow for lies, but they are not valiant for the truth upon the earth. When you bring them truth, when you bring them facts, when you say this is what is true, Judah doesn't want to hear that. They, they love deception. For they proceed from evil to evil, and they know not me, says the Lord. This is Act 1. So in Act 1, Judah, Israel as well, they don't know the Lord. Take ye heed every one of his neighbor, and trust you not in any brother. And here's, we we touch on verse 4. We're going to deal with the church later. But the fact that here in verse 4, we see the prophet warning against treachery, brother betraying brother, indicates to us that these flaws that plague Judah are flaws that plague the church as well. Even though we have the Holy Spirit and we're grafted in, we're still the same human beings. So he says to to, to the people, take you heed every one of his neighbor and trust you not in any brother for every brother will utterly supplant and every brother will walk with slanders. This is the character in the ordinary world. And they will deceive everyone his neighbor and will not speak the truth. They don't care about the truth. That's bad timing. We don't want to hear that now. We just want smooth things. They have taught their tongue to speak lies And weary themselves to commit iniquity. Your habitation is in the midst of deceit. Through deceit they refuse to know me. So we cannot be people who who coexist with deceit, because that will interfere with our ability to know and understand God, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, he's now indicating act two, I will melt them and try them, For how shall I do for the daughter of my people? Their tongue is as an arrow shot out. It speaks deceit. One speaks peaceably to his neighbor with his mouth, but in heart he lays his weight. So they'll smile in your face, but they're planning and plotting behind you. Shall I not visit them for these things, says the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged avenged on such a nation as this? And then verse 10, he goes on, but verse 11, And I will make Jerusalem heaps, and a den of dragons. And I will make the cities of Judah desolate without an inhabitant. You know, somebody asked me the other day, Adrian, do you love your children? Because, you know, you speak kind of harshly sometimes. And, and if you're a loving father, you shouldn't speak like that. Uh, no, quite the opposite is true. Anybody who's raised children successfully knows you have to discipline your children. And God is a loving father. And what is going to befall Jerusalem? Judah, and all Israel, Jacob, in Act 2, is unprecedented. It is a time of trouble the world has never seen. And the epicenter of the trouble is Jerusalem. Why? Because God loves Jerusalem. And he's a loving father. And and he gives discipline. And so when we as pastors speak out and cry out and rebuke with all authority, we don't want God's people to suffer in Act 2, where we're all heading. We're all heading into Act 2, and I'll come back to the church's role in Act 2 shortly. He says then, Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken that he may declare it? So, So there's somebody now, and this is again indicating the church's role in all of this, as we sit and observe what's happening and we understand it, we also have to declare it. For what the land perishes, and is burned up like a wilderness, and none passes through. So we see now in Jerusalem, right now, uh, this Abraham Accord has been passed. Uh, the President Donald Trump working with the United Arab Emirates and Israel to, to form this accord where, where the Arab nations, the, at least the United the Emirates, will work with Israel and co- cooperate and, and bring peace. They cannot bring peace. Judgment has been declared on this treacherous nation. Although they're God's people, they're his children, because they're his children, and because he exercises loving kindness, he also exercises judgment so that he can bring them into righteousness. And, and you know, this uh, United Arab Emirates, uh, in the true definition of Islam, they have now declared themselves apostate. And already we see in Pakistan this very powerful group of al-Jamal, protesting loudly and violently against the Emiratis for violating the teachings of Islam. So, so let's see how this all plays out. But all of this turmoil that's, that's unfolding in the world, the epicenter of it is Jerusalem, and we must watch Jerusalem. Let's now go to Act 2. So we're now at Act 2. So we're now here, but the, the scriptures we're going to cover now. So, so what we saw is God's loving kindness, his patience with these people that keep testing him, but he doesn't reject them. He doesn't reject them. He's going to bring them back. So now we're going to look at the changing world, act two, the world of turmoil, where, where lives are lost and tragedy has befallen be, be these people. But in this changing world, there's the opportunity for them to truly connect with God as the special resource. And come into the new world. Continue in Jeremiah 9 and verse 19. Now we're in Act 2. For a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion. How are we spoiled? Something has happened. And there is a voice of wailing that is heard out of Zion. And they're crying, how are we spoiled? We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. They've been thrown out. And I don't know if you've seen in the uh, news this week as well, while we are seeing the uh, United Arab Emirates or the Emiratis wanting to work with Israel and cooperate and and have uh, diplomatic ties, uh, here now when we look at um, the news in Turkey, this is extremely interesting. Turkey vows, and I think we're all aware that the Hagia Sophia. This great um, church of the Byzantine Empire, the symbol of Christianity, was taken over by the Muslims uh, through the Ottoman Empire and it was converted into a mosque. But then when the Ottoman Empire collapsed in World War I and it was dealt a deathly blow, uh, Ataturk, the, the, the new leader of Turkey, said, Islam is done, we are over with this. He, in a sense, made Islam or religious expression publicly illegal. Turkey became a secular society. The, 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 the beast of Ot- the Ottoman Empire, which is the greatest Gentile empire the world has ever seen, it eclipsed the Roman Empire, and it wiped out Christendom in the Middle East. Well, that church, which became a mosque, was then converted into a museum. And since 1923, 24, it's been a museum. And now Turkey, Erdogan, has converted it back to a mosque. But that's a very symbolic act. That should send chills around the world. That this beast power that was put down, and a beast is anything that destroys God's people, any nation that destroys God's people. And believe me, the Ottoman Empire destroyed God's people at an unprecedented level. Well, it was put down in 1923. That was the end of it. And now listen to Erdogan. He says, Turkey vows to liberate Al-Aqsa Mosque after turning Hagia Sophia to a mosque. So it's not just this, the symbolism of turning the, 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 the church or the museum into a mosque. There's more to it. Turkey, Turkey's president, Recep Tayyip Erdogan, vowed, he vowed, He vowed to liberate Al-Aqsa Mosque from Israel after, listen to the language, resurrecting Hagia Sophia as a mosque on Friday. The decision to change the status of the ancient Hagia Sophia church, which had been transformed into a mosque in 1453 and then into a museum in 1934, was made controversially last week. It follows an increasingly religious authoritarian agenda from Ankara that has made Turkey the world's largest jailer of journalists. So suppressing any kind of truth, we, don't, we can't understand what's really happening there as they're going through their transformation in Act One to prepare for Act Two. Seen dissidents imprisoned for terrorism, quote unquote, and witnessed increasing military invasions of ne- neighboring countries by Turkey. And the reason for that is, they want to recapture the caliphate. That all that land that was lost in World War One there, that's, that's, that's Muslim land. And according to the teachings of Muhammad, once land has been captured by Islam, it must never revert back to the unbelievers. So all the land that the Ottoman Empire had, Recep Erdogan is saying, we have to reclaim that. And so he's having these incursions now as he's spreading out and saying, uh, you know, this is our land. So get ready, Greece. Get ready, Israel. Get ready all the surrounding nations. Just look at the footprint of the Ottoman Empire in the past, and that's what he's after, as he re re-establishes the caliphate. You know, we thought ISIS was bad. ISIS was Bush League, compared to what's coming. The resurrection of the Hagia Sophia heralds the liberation of the Al-Aqsa Mosque, the Turkish presidency website says. The resurrection of Hagia Sophia is the footsteps of the will of Muslims across the world to come. The resurrection of Hagia Sophia is the reignition of the fire of hope of Muslims and all oppressed, wrong, downtrodden, and exploited. And this is why this whole movement over here about, oh, how we're oppressed, we're throwing in our lot, or they are throwing in their lot with these Muslims. And, and, and they are working against God's people. The speech was in Turkish, The speech, which was in Turkish, was translated slightly differently to Arabic and English, apparently as a way to hide part of Ankara's full views on how it has linked Hagia Sophia to a wider agenda. So it goes on to say that they are focused now on taking back Jerusalem. He says here, linking the major change at Hagia Sophia to Jerusalem illustrates that Ankara's ambitions are far larger than just reasserting Islamic prayers at the historic mosque and church in Istanbul. It is part of a larger Islamic agenda for the region. And we could go on. But you can do your research there, brethren, to see that uh, Jerusalem is now in the crosshairs. The Ottoman Empire is being resurrected and they are going after Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is sur- or Judah is surrounded by all these Islamic nations, and the Ottoman Empire wants to be the caliphate to bring the unity to the Muslim world, to then go in and liberate the Al-Aqsa Mosque, and remove all the Jews from Judah. So here in Jeremiah 9, verse 19, it, as we now, when that happens, and we, we're moving to Act 2 for Judah, for a voice of wailing is heard out of Zion, how are we spoiled?" We are greatly confounded because we have forsaken the land, because our dwellings have cast us out. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O you women, and let your ear receive the word of his mouth, and teach your daughters, wailing, every one her neighbor, lamentation, for death has come up into our windows and is entered into our palaces to cut off the children from without and the young men from the streets. And so we can combine this with Zechariah, uh, Zechariah 12, 13 and 14, to see, especially Zechariah 14, the first part, to see just the ravaging of Jerusalem, what's going to happen. And then this is the context now. When we come to verse 22, Jeremiah 9, speak, thus says the Lord, even the carcasses of men shall fall as dung upon the open field, and as the handful after the harvestmen, and none shall gather them. So if you're a parent, a loving parent, you understand God's loving-kindness. This is the context, this tragedy that befalls Zion. This ruthless, the rising raising up this beast to go in and root them out of the land and destroy them and cause them great suffering. This comes from the hand of God. And it is in this context that we read, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, Neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches. But let him that glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. So if we have this view that, oh, you know, God is a loving Father, and no harm would ever befall his children, and everything's just going to be good. And then Christ comes, and everything is gooder. When Christ comes, it gets gooder. And then we get to go into the kingdom, and it's just lovely. It's It's just gooder it's just so gooder. If we have that view, when act two strikes and there is mayhem and slaughter everywhere, including for the church, when we've been telling people smooth things, they will become very discouraged. They will be lost. But if we actually understand the will of the Lord, and even though it's not smooth, we give it to the people, and they don't say, oh, cause the Holy One of the Israel to cease from before us, give us smooth things. They say, no, we accept this. this we have to understand what God is doing. Then we will understand what he's doing. That the context is, is the tragedy of Act 2 that we understand and we know him, that he's the Lord that exercises loving kind, kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things he delights, says the Lord. Look at Jeremiah 30, Jeremiah 30 and verse 4. And these are the words that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. They're they're a peace. For thus says the Lord, we have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Sorry, there's no peace here. So trying to create this uh, Abrahamic accord where we're going to work with the Arabs and the Jews and and make peace. No, we've heard a voice of trembling. When Act 2 comes, we don't see this lasting. It's a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask you now. And see whether a man does travail with child. Is, is a man giving birth to a child? What, why do I see every man with his hands on his loins as a woman in travail? And all faces are turned into paleness. Alas, for that day is great. So when the beast power strikes and we go into act two and the abomination that makes desolate, that day is great. So that none is like it. it is, there's nothing like this 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 is it's the it says it is even the time of Jacob's trouble which really means it is especially the time it is focused on Jacob and the epicenter is Jerusalem and the abomination that will make Jerusalem desolate and from there this this tragedy will spread out and it will cover all Judah and all Israel and the whole world but notice this Because he's a God of loving-kindness, covenant love, even though this punishment will be unprecedented, Jacob will still be saved out of it. So what we're actually seeing in God's logic and his justice, in his loving-kindness combined with justice, is that the Great Tribulation is equivalent to the Great Redemption. That it is through this Great Tribulation that finally the stubborn heart of Judah... And the stiff neck of Israel is broken and softened, and true repentance is achieved. Isaiah 6 and verse 10, where Isaiah 6 and verse 10, we see this Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their e- eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and convert and be healed. So there was a curse pronounced on these people. So that even though we're telling them, they cannot see. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted, without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. So this this has to happen until the abomination of desolation is set up. And all the cities of Judah are made desolate. And then God will finally lift the veil, and they will repent. And the Lord has removed men far away, and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. In Matthew 23 and 37, Christ spoke about this, and he said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that kill the prophets, this is in the ordinary world, this is what you were doing, and stoning them which were sent unto you, how often I would have gathered your children together, even as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you wouldn't have it. Behold, your house, that is the temple, which is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, your temple is left unto you desolate. The abomination that makes desolate will be set up, And there will be a great desolation. But it's going to lead to your repentance, as we see here in verse 39. For I say unto you, you shall not see me again until you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. And that leads us then to Act 3 of this matrix, where we now come into Act 3, which is the righteousness God, which we can define as God acting always according to his law, And always to put his will in place. You know, uh, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. This is the righteousness of God. Jeremiah 30 and verse 8. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off your neck. So now we come out of Act 3, the special resource appears, gives Judah strength, and we see that in in Zechariah 12, gives Judah strength to fight back and break off the oppressor's uh, yoke. I will break his yoke from off your neck, and I will burst your bonds. And strangers shall no more serve themselves of him, but they shall serve the Lord their God. So when we come into Act 3, and the world is made right, Judah And Israel will be the head nations of the earth. And they will serve their God, and David their king, whom I will raise up unto them. Therefore fear you not, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, neither be dismayed, O Israel. For lo, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return, and shall be in rest, and be quiet, and none shall make him afraid meaning that's the exact opposite of what we saw in Act 2, where it is a time of complete terror for Judah and for Israel, complete terror. They have nothing. All of their lovers, they should not be making these agreements with the Gentile nations. We saw that as we studied the book of Judges. But they did that. They put trust in these agreements, and now they've been betrayed. And they realize no one can help them except the Messiah. And they finally call out to him. And he says here in verse 11, I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet will I not make a full end of you. So it's a time of terrible trouble. But Jacob shall be saved out of it. But I will correct you in measure. That's what a good parent does. We love our children. We correct them. We don't allow them to grow wild. We we should be able to know that our children can go anywhere in the world and we never hear a bad report about them because they know how to conduct themselves. And that's what a good father does disciplines his children so they grow up with good character but I will correct you in measure and I will not leave you altogether unpunished no it's going to be a time of great tribulation the fierce anger of the Lord shall not return until he has done it until he has performed the intents of his heart and this is why we can't get caught up in social movements that are designed by the devil and pursuing the devil's agenda we're about God's agenda And we're about the intents of God's heart, and we want to align ourselves with His plans. He says, in the latter days, you shall consider it. And I do believe we have turned a corner, we've turned a page, we're entering a new chapter, and we've come to the end of the age. And there are certain signs we have to look for, that Christ told us to look for, that when we see those things, we know that everything is going to happen within that generation. So it's going to happen in a very accelerated manner. And so in the latter days, we'll consider all of this. In Jeremiah 31 and verse 1, at the same time says the Lord, I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people which were left of the sword found grace in the wilderness, even Israel, when I went to cause him to rest. The Lord has appeared of old unto me, saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And this is what we have to understand, that God exercises loving kindness, cased, covenant love. He never goes back on his word. And so when all of this is happening, there needs to be a people who understand the Lord and understand what he's doing and is able to communicate his will to those who are confused and hurting to say, this is why, and this is what is happening, and this is what will happen next. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you in Jeremiah 33 and verse 7, and I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity, captivity of Israel to return or to end, and will build them as at the first. And by the way, Jeremiah is quoting Moses. Moses laid down the original prophecy, and all of the other prophets pick up the original prophecy in the Torah because this was determined from of old. I will cause the captivity of Judah and the captivity of Israel to end, and I will build them. As at first, and I will cleanse from them I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, so although they deserve to be wiped off the face of the earth, God will not allow that because of his covenant. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity, whereby they have sinned against me, and I will pardon their iniquities, whereby they have sinned and whereby they have transgressed against me. and it shall be to me a name of joy and praise and an honor before all the nations of the earth. This is what he's doing. And all the nations of the earth are going to witness this. Which shall hear all the good that I do unto them, and they shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and the prosperity that I procure unto it. Thus says the Lord, verse 10, Again, there shall be heard in this place, this place of desolation, which you you say shall be desolate without man and without beast, even in the cities of Judah, in the same place, and in the streets of Jerusalem, that are desolate without man and without inhabitant and without beast, this this slaughter is going to be wholesale. This is the discipline of the Lord. There still, though, will be heard the voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride and the voice of them that shall say, Praise the Lord of hosts, for the Lord is good and His mercy, we just sang this, endures forever. And of them that shall bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause to end the captivity of the land as at the first says the Lord. And so he goes on to say that just how blessed these people will be. Let's look at one more again in this uh, new world uh, as we transition from Act 2 into Act 3. Um, Actually, just in verse 14, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I have promised unto the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. He never goes back on his word. Daniel 12 and verse 1, And at that time, this is at the time of the great tribulation, shall Michael stand up. The great prince which stands for the children of your people, Daniel was a Jew, his people are the Jews. Michael will stand up to save the Jews. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And that time of trouble is targeted to Jerusalem and to all the cities of Judah and to Israel. But not to make a complete end of them, just to discipline them thoroughly and bring them to true, not hypocritical repentance, true repentance. And at that time your people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, but some to shame and everlasting contempt. So not all Judah and not all Israel will repent thoroughly. Those that don't will become ashes. Those that do will be brought into the family of God. So that is the act 1 act 2 act 3 structure for judah and for israel let's now look at it for the gentiles we're now we're at the gentiles we want to look at this this first um act here of act 1 the ordinary world of the gentiles let's look at that so these scriptures are the ordinary world of the gentiles daniel 2 in verse 31 speaking to nebuchadnezzar about the dream that he had daniel says you o king saw and behold a great image This great image whose brightness was excellent stood before you, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his his breast and his arms of silver, his belly and his thighs of brass. In Act 1, this is the ordinary world. The Gentiles have these great kingdoms of splendor. They have the upper hand. They're able to subject the people of God to oppression. This is the ordinary world. It's their day. In Act 2 now, now we go to Act 2, the changing world. So now these scriptures are going to be here. We're in the changing world. Verse 33, his legs of iron, this is his feet, part of iron and part of clay. This fourth beast is the beast that provides terror beyond anything the world has ever seen. This is act two. This is is where the the Gentiles will now form and worship the beast and take the image. And remember, there's two beasts. There's a religious beast but there's a political beast, and they join together. I think sometimes we get confused, and we think there's just one beast. There are two. There's a religious beast, and it directs everybody to worship the political beast, and the political beast wreaks havoc on the earth, and particularly on Jerusalem. In Luke 21 and verse 22, Christ says, speaking of the Gentile world, for these be the days of vengeance. They need to strike back, that all things which are written may be fulfilled, because there's a punishment determined on his people. But woe unto them that are with child. This is how brutal the Gentiles are going to be. Woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. These days in Act 2 that are just ahead of us. For there shall be great distress in the land, speaking of the land of Judah, and particularly Jerusalem, and wrath upon this people. The people that are there are the Jews of God. And they shall fall by the edge of the sword and shall be led away captive into all nations. That's what's going to happen and Jerusalem, the epicenter, shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So that's the changing world. Act 2, when God's people are being severely punished, the Gentiles are coming into their fullest glory ever through this fourth beast. What about Act 3? So now we come to Act 3. So these scriptures now are going to go here. What happens in Act 3? Matthew 24 and verse 30. Matthew 24 and verse 30, he says, Then, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. This this is how we bring Act 2 to a close, and we come into Act 3. When we come into Act 3, how is it for the Gentiles? because this is when God fights valiantly for his people. But how does it turn out for the Gentiles? Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. The tribes of the earth mourn. And so all of this uh, tribalism that we're seeing now, and people feeling powerful because they feel like they're part of a tribe, and I've been warning, warning, warning against this. Don't get caught up in this tribalism because it's, it, it's, a, it's a fantasy. It's a fleeting victory. You're going to feel powerful. But when Christ returns, all the tribes of the earth will mourn because he's coming to save his people and to fight valiant for, valiantly for them. And Christ himself is going to shed a lot of blood. People don't understand this about Jesus Christ. They just look at his first coming and they think he's soft and he's a gentle lamb and, you know, he wouldn't speak a harsh word to anybody. He's going, his garments are going to be full of blood. He's coming to slaughter a lot of people. We don't want to get caught up in his wrath. Deuteronomy 30, I mentioned that all the prophets basically pick up the fundamental prophecy that Moses laid down in the Torah and here in Deuteronomy 30, you know, we'll kind of go through all the Acts, but we'll see the, 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 the Act 3 for the Gentiles in this prophecy. Deuteronomy 30 in verse 1, he says, and it shall come to pass, they haven't even gone into the promised land yet. Moses is still alive. He's going to die shortly after this, and they're going to go into the promised land, and Moses is looking ahead, the great prophet. It shall come to pass when all these things have come upon you, the blessing and the curse. You, you, you're going to start off okay, but then you're going to be cursed because you're going to violate the, the Torah which I've set before you and you shall call them to mind among all the nations where the Lord your God has driven you and shall return unto the Lord your God and shall obey his voice to all that I command you this day, you and your children with all your heart and with all your soul. So Moses can see, even though this is a rebellious people, something's going to happen in the future. A discipline is going to happen from a loving father that is going to cause them to truly repent and obey God with all of their heart not in a hypocritical way, but wholly and completely and with all their soul, that then the Lord your God will end your captivity. And that's what Jeremiah was speaking about in Isaiah and all the prophets. And have compassion upon you and will return and gather you from all the nations where the Lord your God has scattered you. So in Act 2, for Judah and Israel, they are scattered and enslaved and slaughtered. It's a horrible scene. And it's a scene of hopelessness unless you understand That God is the God that exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And you can proclaim that and encourage others to understand what is the will of the Lord. So he's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth now, where the Lord your God has scattered you. If any be driven out unto the outmost parts of heaven, from there will the Lord your God gather you, and from there will he fetch you. And the Lord your God will bring you into the land which your fathers possessed, and you shall possess it. And he will do you good and multiply you above your fathers. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed. This is a spiritual conversion. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the Lord your God, now this is Act 3, for the Gentiles, the tribes of the earth. The Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies. So first, Israel and Judah have to be disciplined by these Gentiles. But once the, the, the objective is met, God then punishes the Gentiles. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn for his punishment. The Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies. So this is now, verse 7 here, is in Act 3 for the Gentiles. The Lord your God will put all these curses upon your enemies and on them that hate you, which persecuted you. And you shall return and obey the Lord, uh, the voice of your Lord and do all his commandments which I command you this day. So these are physical people being returned to the physical land. And the Gentiles are going to stop persecuting them. In Isaiah, we, we did a second Isaiah, and I would encourage you if you haven't done that Bible study to go through the archives of second Isaiah, the gospel according to Isaiah. And here Isaiah 60 and verse 3 And the Gentiles shall come to your light. The physical Gentiles are going to come to the physical Jews and Israelites and kings to the brightness of your rising. God is going to raise them up when he returns. Lift up your eyes round about and see. All they that gather themselves together, they come to you. Your son shall come from far and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and flow together and your heart shall fear and be enlarged because the abundance or the wealth of the sea shall be converted unto you and the wealth of the gentiles shall come to you this is act three the gentiles will finally understand who god's people are and they will come to worship the true god and they will bring their offerings to his priestly tribes of israel and judah okay so that was act one act two act three for israel and judah and the gentiles that's what's happening on the earth as god is exercising his cassette his loving kindness his justice and his righteousness what about the church what happens to the church let's look at the church then so now we're going to go through the ordinary world of the church and then we're going to go through this whole process to understand what what is the three-act structure for the church Act 1, the ordinary world. Let's go to Galatians 5. Galatians 5, the ordinary world for the church. Prior to the seasons changing and going into Act 2, what is the condition of the church in Act 1? Act 1, Galatians 5 and verse 13. For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. So this is what the church should be doing. And this is the command that Christ gave us make sure you love one another this is my commandment that you love one another the way that i've loved you so that's what the that's the business of the church now that is our cause that is our rallying cry we shouldn't be out marching with the world getting caught up in these social justice marxist manipulations i'll even go as far as saying witchcraft these witches actual self-avowed witches are leading these movements we should be washing our hands of any of that and instead, we've been called to freedom. There's no freedom like the freedom in Christ. And to love one another. That's, that's her job now. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we're working towards. Where we can understand this. And, and that's why we have to be part of a congregation. You know, we're not, we don't want to be these independent Christians that have no congregation. It's just me and the Lord. No, you need to be part of a congregation. And, you know, when, when the Apostle John wrote to the churches to give them revelation from Christ, Christ sent that revelation to congregations. So, those people in that time who say, Oh, it's just me and the Lord, I'm independent, I don't need a congregation, uh, they wouldn't have received the revelation. And they would have no idea what's going on. And so, we have brethren who think that they can just, they don't need anybody. No, we need each other. And we need that, that working together. But here, no, in the ordinary world now, what's going on? There's the, it's not all candy canes and roses and, and you know, skipping through the field. There's a horrible nature, there's a vicious nature to God's people because we have human nature. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you don't destroy one another. No one saved, always saved here. In the ordinary world, we can be setting each other up to destroy one another. This I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, for the flesh lusts against the spirit." So again, if we're getting into tribalism, this is carnal desire, carnal pride, carnal reactions. We need to be up above this, and understanding the will of the Lord, and operating at this level. The, the, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things you would. But if you be led of the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, which are these. If we're involved in this, brethren, these are works of the flesh. Adultery. Fornication. If you're involved in this stuff, this is works of the flesh. This, you, <laughs> Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. Why would the apostle... Be warning Christians about witchcraft. And why would there be a prophecy that says in the latter days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to doctrines of demons and seducing spirits? And why would we have these people come out and say, we practice witchcraft and we still see people following them? Hatred. Christ says we're going to hate one another. If you, if you think of a brother or a sister in Christ and, and you just feel this hatred toward them, Uh Uh-oh, variants, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. This is why Marxism is so powerful, because it taps into this root of envy that we have. We see somebody doing well, and we hate them for it. Murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, and I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And we are teaching this in Act 1, but not everybody's taking it seriously until Act 2. When Act 2 comes, then suddenly people realize this is real. Titus says, Titus 2 in verse 1, speak you the things which become sound doctrine. This is what we must do as teachers, the things which become sound doctrine. It's not going to be popular. We're not here for likes. We don't preach. How many likes did I get? Is, uh, is everybody happy with me? You know, I was told that I have lines in my forehead and it's not nice. Uh, uh, do I have to preach like this? So I make sure that maybe I get some Botox so I don't have any lines in my forehead? God created this. this I'm God's creation. I'm not going to undo God's creation. And I'm Christ's minister, a servant of the Lord. And I have to speak the things which become sound doctrine even if they're not popular. That the aged men be sober, Grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity and patience. Be sober. Be temperate. Don't get caught up and swept up with the world. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becomes holiness, not false accusers. And unfortunately, many of our aged women uh, have not been taught this. And so they think it's okay to just falsely accuse. Just uh, What did Jeremiah say? They bend their tongue back like a bow? We can't do this, brethren. Don't do it. You know, don't do it. if, you, if you, Don't make false accusations. Not given to much wine, teachers of good things. He drops down in verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Don't get caught up in worldly desires. God has a zeal. God has a desire. Let's be caught up in that. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It's going to be hard and we're gonna suffer persecution, but this is our commitment because we understand the bigger picture. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. Why would we be zealous? Because we've tapped into the zeal of the Lord, and we understand what the Lord is doing, how he's exercising cassette, loving kindness, justice and righteousness in the earth. And we have joined forces with the Lord's zeal. And we're zealous for what he's zealous for. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. That means don't hold back. Rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise you. What, what is a church without rebuke? What is a church when it's going off into Satanism and witchcraft and demonism and there's no rebuke? You know, Pastor Hendricks gave a sermon, I believe it was last week, and you could feel the, 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 the rebuke with all authority, the exhortation. Uh, Pastor Watson, same thing. Uh, Pastor, we hear these men. This is what we must do, brethren. And, and as a church, we need to accept it. I had a, a man uh, write to me. Uh, this is a black brother in Christ, and he wrote to me, he said, I must admit, sometimes your teaching is tough in a great way. But if a student is strong enough, it produces gain. It's like trying to get in shape after a life of bad eating and lack of exercise. But if a student or recruit can make it through the hardness like a great recruit, as in going to boot camp, it will produce massive gains. People have listened to church pastors that please itching ears, so when the word comes direct to make you better and expose issues, they don't want to hear it but you must stay instant in season and out of season. The student must not complain, but endure hardness like a soldier, because we are up against wicked spiritual warfare, and Satan knows he has a short time. This is very, very, very insightful. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. In deception, they unknowingly practice lies, reflecting and honoring that deception, then push others to follow suit, and he went on. But there's a, there's a, a brother in Christ who's willing to accept rebuke. And, and, and be tr- con- conformed to Christ through it. That's all we want, brethren, all of us together to be conformed to Christ. Let's quickly look at the changing world for the church. When, we are, when the seasons change and we are pushed into act two, the world of turmoil, what happens to the church? He says this. <clears throat> Jeremiah 9 and verse 12. Jeremiah 9. Verse 12, who is the wise man that may understand this? (laughs) The answer is the church. This is our job to understand what's going on in the earth, not get caught up in it. To understand that all of this, you see Black Lives Matter now, joining forces, Google this, Black Lives Matter joining forces with the Palestinians and the Muslims against Jerusalem. We can't get caught up in this. Who is the wise man that may understand this? And who is he to whom the mouth of the Lord has spoken? that he may declare it. That's our job. For what the land perishes and is burned up like a wilderness that none passes through. And the Lord says, Because they have forsaken my law, which I have set before them, and have not obeyed my voice, neither walk therein, but have walked after the imagination, after their own heart, and after B'alim, after B'alim, which their fathers taught them. Therefore thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will feed them even this people with wormwood and give them water of gall to drink." In Isaiah 40, when we studied 2nd uh, Isaiah, the job of the church is right here. Isaiah 40 and verse 1, Comfort you, comfort you, my people, says your God. Speak you comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The Lord is a loving Father, and we who understand what a true loving Father is like We can speak comfortably to Jerusalem. We can encourage her to say, it's not over. You will not perish. There was a purpose to all of this. In Matthew 24 and verse 8, Christ says, all these things are the beginning of sorrows. We're going to be pushed into act two. The season's going to change on us. And this is the beginning of sorrows. And they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you. We have to understand, we're going to get caught up in act two. It's going to be an act of tragedy, not just for for Judah, not just for Israel, but it's an act of tragedy also for the church. But it's in that tragedy we find our triumph, just as Christ in his tragedy found triumph. They shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Why is that? Because all nations conspire together against Jerusalem, but we have a gospel for Jerusalem. We have a gospel for Judah. We have a gospel for Israel. It's like our message and, you know, there's no such thing as black race in the Bible. There's no such thing as white race in the Bible. So if we're going after any kind of racial ideology, it doesn't come from the Bible. So we can say, oh, I don't support the organization. I support the phrase. Well, the phrase doesn't come from the Bible. All lives matter comes from the Bible. And the only ethnic subsidiary of that that we can pull from the Bible in Act 2 is Jewish lives matter. That's, that's the good news. Jewish lives matter. Israel's life matters to God because he's in covenant love with them. And no matter how much tragedy befalls them, our good news to them is your life matters. Christ has not forgotten you. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another. So this is the tragedy now. and shall hate one another. And many false prophets will rise and speak smooth things and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. But he that shall endure to the end, the same shall be saved. So act two is an act of endurance for the church. We have to endure and this gospel of the kingdom this gospel that, that that the throne of david will be established in jerusalem that jesus christ will restore the jews to jerusalem that all israel will be gathered from the four corners of the earth to israel to the promised land and christ will reign from zion this is the gospel this God, and, and the nations hate it because all the nations are, have decided every Jew needs to be torn out. They're occupiers. They need to be torn out of the land. And, and, and you know, uh, Black Lives Matter and all these Marxist movements, they all agree. Tear the Jews out of the land. And we're saying, no, that's wrong. It is their land. They need to be punished. But God is going to restore them to the land. So we're saying to the Jews, behold your God. And the world hates us for this. They can't stand it. it it's, the, it's like, no, uh, Muslims, you do not have the covenant. No, Ishmael is not the child of promise. And this drives them wild with hatred. And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. When you therefore shall see, this is what we're watching, Jerusalem is the epicenter. When you sh- therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, Whoso reads, let him understand. Go and read Daniel. Go and read the prophecies about the abomination of desolation. Go and read what must happen to Jerusalem. Make sure you understand it. Because that's that's the ticking time bomb. That's that's the clock that tells us, okay, this is it. This is when Jerusalem finally will be made desolate, but will be brought to repentance. The great tribulation brings the great redemption. Now learn the parable of a fig tree. It tells us that we should know we should have a sense of the seasons changing and not be like the time of Noah when the seasons were changing and everybody just thought business as usual. So the ordinary world for the church was the ordinary world for Noah. And Noah was trying to tell the people, in, the, in his case, the people of the world, hey, the times are changing. We're shifting into act two, time of chaos. They didn't listen. In our case, we are warning the church in the ordinary world, hey, seasons seems to be changing. There's an indication that the fig tree is starting to shoot some buds here. I think we might be heading into act two. And if the, the church and the, 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 the world of Judah, they just don't care. They just carry on ordinary world. Then the flood just comes. And act two just comes and suddenly there's tragedy. But in verse 43, he says this, and, and it sets up a tension. Matthew 24, verse 43. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched. So the good man of the house is the, the men that God has put over the household to give them food, to feed them, the pastors. If the good man of the house, whatever congregation, you're over that congregation, so this is to all of us who are in this role. If we had known in what, in what watch the thief would come, we would have watched and we would not have suffered our house to be broken up. Therefore, be you also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man comes. We have to be watching and understanding how the seasons are changing because it's going to happen very quickly. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? This is the question that's being asked. It's going to be a time of great deception but somebody needs to be understanding the will of the Lord and how he operates and how he exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness in the earth so that we are understanding, so that we can be wise. Whom his Lord has made ruler over his household to give them meat in due season. That there's a different kind of diet required now compared to the past we're we're no longer in the ordinary world when we can just sort of have this you know different sort of menus and would you like this and smooth and a lot of ice cream and whatever you like no now we're heading into a time of act two which is a time of great tragedy and you need protein we need meat and so we need the meat in due season blessed is that servant whom his lord when he comes shall find so doing Verily I send to you, he shall make him ruler over all his goods. But, and if the evil servant shall say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming. So we got so used to the ordinary world in Act 1 that we really don't see the signs of the time. We don't see the seasons changing. And so however we've been behaving in Act 1, we think we can just keep behaving like this. And that's what Christ said is, that's saying my Lord delays his coming. And shall begin to smite his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunken. So we will, we will defend the drunken in the world who have no spiritual sense. We will defend them and fight against our own brethren. And Christ is saying, like, what's going on here? Don't you see the season is changing? The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. And, shall, and there's no one saved, always saved here. This, this is the servant of the Lord who neglected to give the right meat at the right time as the season was changing to warn the people, look, things are changing. We need to get serious about this. He shall cut him asunder and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Also in this act too, there's a great martyrdom. Revelation 6 tells us that when the fifth seal opens, those that were slain for the word of God and their testimony, they cry out and say, how much longer? And Christ says, you know what? There's more martyrs to be added. So again, if if we're just looking at the beast and we see the beast rising, and we get all caught up with that. We can become terrified. But if we understand the beast is, a, is, a, is permitted by God, and it is designed for Jerusalem as the epicenter and all Jacob. And we have to declare this, but in declaring it, Daniel says, many of those of understanding shall fall. In declaring it, we shall also fall. But in our fall is our glory, because we are Christians. In Christ's death was his glory. And that's why we keep the Passover every year so that we can understand his death, so that we are not afraid of death, so that we can proclaim boldly this gospel. And then, you know the other thing in Act two is what I call the great exchange." Because in Second Thessalonians two and verse three, the apostle says, "Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of Perdition." So the church In Act 2, in all of this turmoil and tragedy, because they were just hearing smooth things and they're caught off guard and they're offended, there's going to be a great apostasy. There's going to be a great leaving of the faith. And at the same time, if you compare that to Romans 11 and verse, uh, let's just cut in to verse 18, boast not against the branches. If you boast, you bear not the root, the root bears you. He says, um, because of unbelief, verse 20, they were broken off. You stand by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. If God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not you. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God. There's a severity of God. Don't take God for granted. There's a severity to God. On them which fell severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also shall be cut off. And so, when we see this, we see there is going to be a great apostasy. The the, the branches that are not producing fruit are going to be cut off, and we have to warn and inspire and turn brethren to righteousness. And so he says, um, they shall be. So verse twenty three, and they also. If they abide not still in unbelief, because we are now proclaiming the gospel, and they are realizing they can't partner with everybody hates them; the whole world is against them. They only have Christ. They now accept the gospel. They shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So, so we're seeing we're going to see people in the church apostatizing, getting offended, betraying, hating one another, leaving the faith, and at the same time, all those Jews that we just couldn't get through to them, there's gonna be a great opening up and the Jews are going to come into the church. So there's the, the great tribulation is also the great exchange. And this is what we have to warn against. And you know, a few uh, feasts ago, uh, maybe it was even last feast, I don't remember now, time flies, flies so quickly, uh, we gave this uh, theme for our feast, that others may live. That we're in this to understand the big picture of what God is doing and we sacrifice ourselves that others may live. So act three, the new world, Daniel 12 and verse three, and they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. That's us, brethren. If we are wise, if we understand what the Lord, the Lord is doing and we can declare to others what God is doing. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. This, this has to be our passion. This has to be our zeal, because this is the zeal of the Lord. Let's not get caught up in social, worldly, carnal pleasure and, and, and status and pride. Let's get caught up in this. And let's glory that we understand this. In 1 Corinthians 15 and, and verse uh, 52, he says, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. So there's, there's something happening on the earth with the physical people of Judah And there's something happening on the earth with the Gentiles and God is sorting all of that out. And we are like the overseers who are watching all of this play out and we understand it and we declare it. And we turn many to righteousness. Many Jews repent and come in and many Gentiles repent and come in. And many brethren who are hypocrites because we warn them sternly, they repent and they turn to righteousness. And this is what we're doing, brethren. So, think of this three-act structure, and don't just think of it for us, the church. Think of it level one, what God is doing, how he is exercising his loving kindness, his commitment, his covenant love, his justice—he's a just God—and his righteousness, how he makes the world right according to his law, level one. Level two, that three-act structure for the Gentiles— And how, as we move into Act 2, the Gentiles come into their fullest glory. We don't want anything to do with that. Let them have their glory. Our glory is our understanding in the Lord. And then in Act 3, when God returns, all the tribes, all the tribes of the earth mourn. All these tribes have been governed by principalities and powers in the dark regions of the heavens. They're governed by witchcraft. And we can't get caught up in this. We are at level three, which is the church going through these three acts. And in the ordinary world, we're not getting caught up in carnal, just nastiness. We're understanding we've got to love one another. Because as we do that, when we're plunged into act two, we can be noble. We can work together. We can trust each other. And we can declare the gospel to Judah and Israel as encouragement and to all the Gentiles as a warning. And we can turn many of them to righteousness. But those who don't turn, they were warned. Let's, uh, as we conclude, um, 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, as I was watching these children playing in the lake, and I watched them and they were just so beautiful. And I also realized as I watched them, they have no idea what world they're going to grow up and inherit. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 20, Paul says, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Don't be like these children who are just playing in the ordinary world and have no idea what's coming. Don't get caught up in this world's movements, because you have no clue what God is doing. Understand the will of the Lord, and do not be children in understanding. We want to be among the wise. Howbeit in malice be you children, but in understanding be men. In Daniel 12 and verse 8, he says, I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord... What shall be the end of these things? So Daniel couldn't quite put it all together. And he said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. So if we're to give meat in due season, it means that certain instruction, certain knowledge will open up at the end. And that's the season that we have to be giving that meat. And when, as we do that, verse 10, Many shall be purified. You know, the, the brother that wrote in to say, this is, this is difficult, but it, it allows me to purify myself. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly. A, a church that cannot be rebuked becomes wicked, and they'll do wickedly. They don't, they don't want guidance. And God says, I'm going to provide the guidance through the, 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 the master of the household for each household. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand They don't understand what God is doing, but the wise shall understand. And Christ asked, well, who is the wise servant that will teach my people and give them meat in due season? Let's conclude in Isaiah 9, where we began. Our brother uh, Daniel read for us. Let's just pick up the context for it. Because, again, when I sat on the lake and just watched these children, and I had no technology, uh, I kept looking at my watch as, you know, as the day went on, looking for notifications, but I was wearing a watch that was not electronic. And I didn't have my phone with me. I was just free of the technology. The watch just gave me the time. But sometimes we do need notifications, especially when the season changes. You know, the, watch that the, the watch, the dolls on the watch don't tell us the season is changing. We need to know the season is changing. So... God is giving us the notifications. Let's conclude in Isaiah 9. And again, think of that three-by-three three matrix. We can go to any scripture in the Bible and understand the grand narrative. And where, did, where, where does each scripture plug in? So we, we can be wise and we can understand. Isaiah 9 and verse 1. Nevertheless, the dimness shall not be such as was in her vexation, When at the first he lightly afflicted afflicted the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward did more grievously afflict her by the way of the sea beyond Jordan in Galilee of the nations. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They've come out of Act two and they've come into Act three, and they've seen a great light. And they that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them has the light shined. This is our gospel. This is our encouragement to these people that you have brought this upon yourself. But because of God's covenant love, he will not make a full end of you. You have multiplied the nation and not increased the joy. They joy before you according to the joy and harvest, and as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff off his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. And God says that the Assyrian, the rod of the Assyrian is the rod of his anger, or the Assyrian is the rod of his anger. Uh, But God is going to break that rod. For every battle of the warriors with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with burning and fuel of fire. For unto us a child, This is the context. The Savior, the Messiah, is in this context. That there shall be a brutal, unprecedented punishment of Judah and Israel. It will be a time of Jacob's trouble. But he's going to be saved out of it. How? Because of this. For unto us, that's the Jews, unto us Jews a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And we don't care what the Gentiles think, we don't care what the Gentiles do, we don't care how many uh, social Marxist-type movements they create, we have one message, the gospel of the kingdom. The government shall be upon this Jewish shoulder, And his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. He's a loving father, but he's caused this brutal punishment upon his children to bring the end result, the fruit of righteousness, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. I don't know necessarily what mission or movement you might be giving your time and attention to, but I'm going to appeal to you, to all of us, let's give our full time and attention and all our effort and zeal and all our mind and heart and soul to this gospel, to this movement because the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this and nothing can stop it. God bless you, brethren.
1: Wow. What a what a great message for these days and thank you Pastor Eugene again for your hard work and doing, you know, all this difficult work in this such a crazy circumstances at this time that many Many people, many, many in the church are, are afraid of speak, even though we still live in so-called democracy in the freedom of speech. So thank you so much. And brethren, you know, as I was thinking during this message, this powerful scripture that comes from Jeremiah chapter 9, you know, you know everything in Bible, everything in God's words got a purpose and everything is ordained in the proper order, in the way how it's supposed to be. As you will notice, that, you know, this, this powerful scripture starts with actually... God is always starting everything with loving kindness. Before comes the judgment, we have to think about God when God is doing something, when God has accomplished something. The loving kindness is in his, in his, in his, in his mind as an end goal when righteousness is going to live forever. This is amazing. This is beautiful. So thank you, Pastor Agent, again for, you know, making it so easy and so clear for us to understand the purpose, the purpose of the kingdom of God, what it's all about. And which is nicely divided in the, into the basic categories that you know now it would be so much easier just to read and understand the script. So, brethren, at this time, let's conclude it. We'll have one more hymn, but before we go to the, to the to the last hymn, let's do the closing prayer. Just bow your heads and just collect your thoughts for a moment here, as we as we're gonna do this closing prayer. Loving God, loving Father. What a wise God you are. And please forgive us that. We are just a temporal, limited people. And many times we just don't understand your purpose. And because we don't understand something, we get caught up in this, in this moment, in this situation. And many times we Say things that are not appropriate. We act inappropriately, or we stand, Father. And we ask, Father, for forgiveness. And help us as we move on from this ordinary world into this changing thing that, you know, as we can notice this, this year 2020, how things can change so quickly that as we go through all these changes, we, Father, ask that you help us To become become more committed. To be zealous. To be zealous to the same degrees as you are zealous for your kingdom, Father. And help us, Father. Protect us not to be deceived. But whatever things are happening around us, Father. And in the end, we know that through this difficult time, Father, we know. That you look for overcomers. You look for people who you can depend on. You look for people who will sacrifice everything to the end, including their lives. To be servants in your kingdom, Father. And we pray, Father, that you'll give us this courage, that you give us this commitment, this zeal for your kingdom, for your gospel, Father. And also at the same time that more difficult times are coming. We need leaders, Father. So we pray and ask, Father, that whatever leaders we have, that you'll give them strength and courage to say whatever you want them to say and father in the end just as we prepare for this fall festival fall festival just end up with this beautiful feast of tabernacle father we are not there yet and there's a long way to go go through tribulations, deception whatever you can name it help us to prepare for that kingdom father individually, as well, as collectively. So, Father, we praise you. Holy name. We honor you. We give you praise, Father. And we thank you for all these things. And we ask you for all these things that you're going to do to us do to us in the future. In no other name, but Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Brother, thank you for listening, for tuning in one more time here on the Sabbath service. And just a reminder, quick reminder, come back next week at the same time. And let's conclude this. Beautiful Sabbath service here. With the last closing hymn and the hymn spinal final page seventy-eight, all Zion haste, all Zion haste. May God bless you all for another week.